All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. They're coming to get you, Barbara. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Here's Johnny. Vanity. Definitely my favorite sin. I am devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. The power of Christ compels you! This is my boomstick! What's your favorite scary movie? What up, whoreheads, and welcome to Shiver, a horror movie podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Daniel Devona. And I'm David Uyoa. And we are back this week with uh, hopefully a show that will take off that hitch. If you were watching us last week, things got a little bit weird. Uh, we were supposed to finally get to the Invisible Man, and then the show was hijacked by the actual Invisible Man. So I, I still don't know how it happened. I don't either. Weird, weird things were afoot last week. We ultimately lost um, a game of horror movie of horror trivial pursuit. We learned was not horror horror movie trivial pursuit. Yeah. There were books and comics and all sorts of stuff, and we were we were mightily humbled. A horror week ago. one. I like to think yeah. of it as horror one. Horror definitely yeah. won last week. And so we are back this week, episode 101, ready to kick off this new century of episodes with something brand new, something that got a very limited theatrical release, but is catching a lot of buzz on the internet. A lot of people are talking about it. We felt compelled to go ahead and do it. And this week, we are going to be talking about the movie Cobweb. Absolutely. Uh, brand new. Uh, we picked it up on uh, iTunes, but it, mm-hmm. it's out there. I'm pretty sure you can get it on an Amazon and some stuff like that. So it is very, very new. I want to say the theatrical release was a couple of Late years July. ago. Like uh, initially. Yeah. But yeah, then, yeah, it just came out theatrically in July. And so it's there's a lot to this movie, but there's mm-hmm. not at the same time. It's a very interesting look at kind of the horror movie, the family movie, the drama, just all of these different things. So, Dave, all of these things wrapped up into one movie, something brand new. What did you think, dude? What did you think of Cobweb? Um, you know, I got to say this movie was a breath of fresh air for me. Because we had been doing uh, so many different kinds of movies lately, um, and many of them were like special effects extravaganzas. Right. And that's fantastic, and I love that kind of movie. Um, But there is something special about the kind of movie that has almost no special effects. Right. And manages to hold your attention and 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 in reality when you think about it there's not a lot going on in this movie it's a very very simple concept very limited cast and yet something about it works and for me i know exactly what it was i came across this one because i was watching the new insidious with a Mm -hmm. friend of mine and um we he had rented it on amazon and on the amazon like homepage was uh not from the homepage but like the movies you might like i guess for like right. suggestions with insidious was this one 
And, and he was like, oh, what is this? I said, I don't know. I guess he assumed I knew because it was right. a horror movie. And I was like, I have no idea. So we saw the trailer and the trailer hooked me from the very first moment. I, as, uh, as a very, very young boy, had a recurring nightmare that my mother was trying to kill me. Okay. And and I, I don't think that's an uncommon thing. I right. think that most most kids probably have this sort of nightmare at some point. But it was uh, it was all the time that I had this one. And my mother never tried to kill me, by the way. My mother and I have, <laughs> have, have, have a have a pretty good relationship. Uh, she's she's uh, she, she's a great lady, very sweet lady. But I um, there's a lot of stuff that happened in that trailer that was it seemed to be pulled right from my dream and i was like i got i gotta watch this thing so i i know that on some level the amount of love that i have for this movie is entirely personal and entirely irrational and uh and it's only because i can rationalize a lot of it in my own you know sort of personal experience that it makes sense to me but i think also this movie is just flat out fantastic yeah, I, I, the literally the only thing I knew about this movie going into it was that it had popped up on a handful of our uh, friends on Instagram. It had popped up in our feed a couple times. A couple different people had done it, and every single one of them kept reverting to the word creepy, mm-hmm. and and that was just that was the number one word. It was like this is creepy. And so, and that was all I knew. I had no idea why it was called Cobweb. I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't realize Homelander was in it, you know? So, um, and so I I threw this on yesterday with zero expectation. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was really, really impressed. And like I said, that word that kept popping up was creepy, but it is because there are very few words that could possibly describe this movie better. It has some very scary parts. It has some terrifying themes mm-hmm. to it and, and some things of that nature. But just all in all, this movie is creepy mm-hmm. from beginning to end. It, it, it never, it never allows you to be comfortable. You're never given any sort of exposition about any of these people or what is going on. You are just thrust into this movie. And for the longest time, it almost seems like nothing's going on until you realize that there is definitely something going on and that it is a lot. Uh, So I was really impressed with a lot of things about this movie uh, from its absolute bare bones cast and and how well they did to just the way that I was uneasy for the entire movie uh, down to, you know, a couple of reveals here and there that, that were just great. I really, really enjoyed this. And like I said, I just, I had absolutely no reason to be expecting anything from it, which is maybe great because I can see where if I had known anything about this movie, some of it might have fallen a little flat. So going into this completely blind was 100% the best choice. I, I agree because um, I think so often these days, 
um, when studios cut these trailers and then there's a first trailer and a second trailer and a third trailer. Right. And, and they're the, it's, it's part of the, the marketing machine. All the best parts of the movie get revealed before you watch the movie. And although the moment that for me is the standout moment of this movie was in the trailer, it was a frame. That's all it was. And it wasn't the sort of thing where I knew exactly what was happening. And right. it wasn't until I actually saw it unfold on screen where I was like, oh, that's the thing that was in the trailer. <laughs> and um, and it's also the thing that drew me to the movie in the first right. place. So I think that they marketed this thing in exactly the right way. And it's because it's not a big studio movie. But there's... Um, there's something about it. You 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 use the word creepy, um, creepy, eerie. There is something about this where like you just can't pull away, and right. you. Um, I think you use the word unsettling. Yes, unsettling is I think the word that works best for this because it's it to me it's beyond creepy. Um, there's, uh, and, and we're, we're starting to move into, into story now. And I think that this is something where we're, we're going to need to sit here and talk about this quite a bit. Right. Um, so usually I've got my eye on the, on the clock and I'm like, okay, how long are we going? Because we got a lot of stuff to talk about, but I really do think that like, I don't want to rush this one. Um, there is something unsettling about every single character in this movie, because it's very easy to point to Lizzie Kaplan or Anthony Starr and say, yeah, they were creepy and they were like incredibly right. so. But Lizzie Kaplan makes an amazing point at one point in this movie when she's trying to cover up for the fact that they are these like weird uh, sort of like overbearing parents and that, you know, that they have severely overreacted with with what has gone on with their son but she says, um, I, yeah, I, I think you, uh, your, um, like your obsession with my son is kind of weird. Yes. And in, in, in my own mind, I'm like, yeah, that is true because why would this woman be trying to, so there's every single thing that happens in this movie is unsettling. You used the word so appropriately. I think, what is it about this story that worked for you? So. Like I said, one of the things that, that made the story and the way this movie unfolded so great was the fact that we were just kind of thrust into it. And so the movie starts and we are immediately kind of introduced to Peter. We get that he's a kid in school. He doesn't really get along with anybody. You know, by, he's, for all intents and purposes, bullied on a regular basis. And uh, so... We, we see that he, we see him at home. We meet his parents. They're, uh, they're, they're overbearing. And you, it, this movie just unwraps. He starts hearing this voice behind the wall and, and all of these things. His parents are trying to convince him that it's not real. What makes this story work for me is until the moment that you're 100% sure of what's going on and even then you're still not so until the moment when you feel like you're 100 sure what's going on it does a great job equally selling a little bit of everything at no point in this movie are you sure if his parents are murderers 
if he does have a sister who yeah. is trapped in the wall, uh, if this woman is actually a substitute teacher, because look, we're teachers. We've been around plenty of people who fill in. I don't know what, what subbing is like uh, where you are in the public school system. I promise you a substitute teacher is not going to take the time to put that much effort into noticing a kid's work, let alone taking Never. it to his house mm-hmm. to show his parents. So you're wondering, you know, what, what what is with this woman? She's just a substitute teacher. Why is she so bought in? You're always just wondering what the hell is the missing piece You're always looking at a puzzle that's not complete and and you, you feel like you've seen a ton of pieces, but you don't have all of the pieces. And so it it never lets you get comfortable because you're never sure, you know, granted there are, there's, there's, there's never a good reason to bully a kid, but there's usually a reason that they're, that they're particularly picked on. Um, you never really find out what it is about this kid who makes him not fit in. You can kind of lean on maybe it's because his parents are so overbearing. Maybe he just doesn't get to hang out. And, you know, the other kids think that's weird. But you never really know why he's picked on so much at school. You right. don't you you don't know why his parents are the way they are. You kind of get this little half-cocked story about how a kid went missing while trick-or-treating. And that's caused him to be overbearing. But... You just, you never get everything. And then you finally, you finally get the moment where the sister comes out of the wall and you're like, oh shit, he does have a sister in the wall. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, now, you know, everything's going to work out. And then it still manages to twist and turn and drive you absolutely crazy with what's going on from there and still make you feel like you don't quite know everything. Right. The way that this story is told, the story on the surface is very simple. Kid has creepy parents, voice from the wall. It's a sister that he never knew about. But the way that the story is presented and the chunks that it's given to us in make it very hard to choke down, but in a good way, because you can't ever just accept something and move on. You're forced to constantly question everything that's happening. Um. You hit upon what I think is one of the most interesting aspects of the story, which is that we never really know what's going on here. And I think that because this movie is told from the perspective of Peter, from the perspective of the child, children never really know the whole story. They only know as much as their parents want them to know. They only know as much as they can perceive. They only know as much as they can possibly grasp because their minds aren't fully formed. And their like really limited life experience hasn't informed them enough of what everything they're seeing is. I remember on a number of occasions where like I have very vivid memories of something that occurred in my childhood and thinking, okay, well, that's what it is that happened. And then being much older and discussing this with my family. And they're like, yeah, no, that's not what happened, dude. You know, like your, your mind is your, your child mind rationalizes things in ways that a child would rationalize it. And if you happen to have a family where 
you are afraid that your family is not being open with you, honest with you, truthful with you, and that you are possibly the cause of some sort of issue within the family, you're going to get the same issues that Peter has. And for me, that is one of the more interesting things here is that there's so many layers, thematic layers to this movie. There's the idea that there's some sort of trauma that Peter's parents are trying to shelter him from. And in sheltering him from that trauma, they're actually making it worse for him because what we imagine is infinitely worse than anything that actually happened. Yes. And, and, and that's, that's what's going on here with Peter is that in his mind, his parents are capable of awful things. And yeah. what those things are, he doesn't know. And so his mind continues to reel and it continues to, to, to spin and spin until he's thinking, well, it, the worst possible thing ever, his parents are killers. And when we explore the way that his parents' relationship with him is, well, ignore this thing. We're not going to address this thing because if we address it, then we have to talk about it. And if we talk about it, we have to relive it. And you have to know that this pain, this suffering is out there and trying to protect him from this thing, this monster. And I don't think it is in reality a physical monster. I think they're trying to protect him from an idea. Right. Um, there is this inability for him to rationalize anything. And this is how we get the, 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 the problems that arise where eventually he kills his parents. Yes. he does. I, I, I don't know if he truthfully kills his parents or if it happens in his mind. And I think that that's one of the beautiful things about this movie is that what is real, what isn't real and what is possibly real. Right. Um, is never just, spit at you it's never just told uh there's no sort of like dream dreamscape coloring that's laid over this like nothing is ever in sepia nothing is ever uh out of focus everything always looks crisp and clean and beautiful in its own way including the violence and and for me that's part of the amazing quality of this movie is that as far as i can tell there is one one thing that indicates that something is not actually happening. And it is the, um, the area rug that he has in his room that spins it's spinning. Yes. It's the only thing that, uh, and I've seen the movie twice now in the last two days, like this movie uh, or three days, this movie has taken me by storm and I need to watch it again. Yeah. I, 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 I can't imagine. Uh, I can't think of another movie that has like driven me this crazy. I need to know what is real and what isn't real. And I know there's got to be more tells here, but uh, I I can't figure them out. Yeah. The, you know, the spinning area rug was, uh, was something that, that carried this movie really well for me into or out of territory that some other movies have gotten stuck in the, the spinning area rug, just at least creating the idea that, this isn't, you know, the way we're seeing things isn't the way that they're actually happening. Because one of the things that I at first was really upset about, um, but then as as I thought about it, I realized 
made a lot of sense was the idea that so when Sarah finally gets loose from the walls and she's she is a monster, you know, and you you see her weird face and she can kind of crawl on walls and she seems to be absurdly strong. I mean, ridiculously strong, like she's picking people up by their heads and some stuff like that. And my first thought was, oh, man, that's kind of disappointing because that's that's crossing into that weird territory that Barbarian was in where it doesn't make any sense for somebody that was locked up to be able to be the strong. You know, she's obviously not yeah. in the walls lifting. How is she so strong? To to address that point, and I'm sorry to interrupt, when I saw the trailer for this thing, one of the very first things that it advertised was that this was from the producer of Barbarian. Yes. And and I, I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, um, the movie looks really good, but so did Barbarian. Right. And we all know how we felt about Barbarian, but there's something about this. And, and you know, so, I, I have to give this a shot. Yeah. And so so I was I was having those thoughts. But then I came back to the spinning area rug and it's like a teddy bear face. Right. Right. And it's and it's sitting there. And in a moment where he's having a conversation with Sarah and and so you're like, OK, so what is going on? You notice that this thing is, is spinning. It's like, wait, that's so weird. So then you start thinking back and you do what you said at the beginning, which is the idea that a kid is going to process these types of things in a way, you know, the, the human brain has an amazing capacity to fill holes, right? To, 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 to make something make sense to you. And so like, like the thing when you're driving down the road at night and you just kind of barely catch something out of your peripheral on the side of the road. And your first thought is, Oh my God, there's a person there and you turn it to mailbox. But the way that your brain yeah. processes it is just, Oh, there's some, there must be a person. Be careful. The, the child's brain is going does this in much more fantastical ways. You know, I work with elementary school kids every day. And I, I very, I, I always, I, I tell kids all the time that, that, there, that there's a difference between lying and telling stories. And telling stories a lot of times is just the way that kids embellish things. And the, the way that they genuinely remember, you know, kids remember their parents doing these supernatural things because to them it seems impossible. Yeah. So then when they relate that story, it comes off as even more outlandish. And there's always, you know, a grain of truth in there. Mm -hmm. And I think that when the, Sarah, my, my dad can kick your dad's ass there. Right, exactly. Yeah. When Sarah breaks free, the things that she's doing and the fact that, that Peter is so overwhelmed by the fact that he's been tricked and that he just killed his parents, possibly, or it's just that something terrible happened. At this point, it would it would venture to believe that he's completely broken from reality at this point. And what we're getting is the way he's seeing it. So, yes, this monster that he just freed can climb on walls and it can decapitate bullies with with no effort. And it can pick people up by their head and just rip them back into the room. These things can happen because that's the way he's remembering it, because this entire experience was so traumatic. By the end, we come to find out that he, I guess, is living with, maybe adopted by the right. substitute teacher um, whose name I've completely forgotten. Miss Divine. Miss Divine. 
Um, you know, and and he's still, you know, he's seeing the hair in his bed and he's he's hearing the clicking. Maybe he's hearing the voices in the wall. And so we're until the very end left with how much of this happened the way we saw it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that is what sets this apart from so many from so many other movies, especially Barbarian, which was the right. one that I kept immediately trying to draw parallels to until I realized they did not paint themselves into that same corner. Yeah. And there is a very logical out here. And and I think that a lot of that has to do with the fact that Barbarian never left anything up to question. Barbarian was very explicit in what it was. And although there were lots of things that I did enjoy about Barbarian, ultimately the explicit nature of its narrative is where I ultimately stopped being able to enjoy the movie. Right. Uh, Because on a technical aspect, uh, it was, it was, it was a joy to watch. Uh, It was beautiful, particularly the stuff that took place in the the late seventies or early eighties, whenever that was, it was gorgeously shot and, 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 and beautifully edited, but the narrative fell apart. And I think that's where this movie got it right, is that the narrative doesn't always make sense, but I don't think it's supposed to because it's being told from that point of view of the child and because there's multiple ways to read this where like, yeah, it is possible that Sarah broke out from that cell at the end of the movie, but it's also possible that there never was a Sarah at all. And it's very possible that the whole monster in the first place was in his head to begin with. And that this trauma is just following him because he hasn't taken care of the root of the issue. He's taking care of the symptom, not the cause. And so uh, even if, even if he did actually kill his parents, which I don't think he did. Okay. He still ends up with Miss divine maybe and the trauma is still there because he still hasn't dealt with whatever it is that his parents are trying to shelter him from whatever that is maybe what we see at the end isn't happening at all and in his mind he's just living with someone else right and 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 that's the 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 the, the nirvana that he wants to be at that's the peace that's the heaven that's the the perfection and I think we've all at some point as children pictured, well, what's what's the perfect living scenario for me? Because mom and dad are upset at me because this person has this problem with me. How do I make it so that I am at peace? And maybe that's what is going on there. How much of the end of the movie actually happens? I, I, I don't know. And maybe it's just that this, you know, the, the spinning area rug marks the beginning of you can't trust this anymore. Well, and I think that there I think that there are other little clues um, that are I don't know. Clues might be the wrong. I think there are other things that point to the fact that that this is definitely not happening the way that we're seeing it, because. I, I think that when his parents punish him and they send him down to the basement, you know, he's grounded. He's got to go to the basement. There's this really dramatic thing where his dad has to move the fucking refrigerator, right? To right. get down to the basement. So you're, this is, you know, this is not just grounding. Like this is, this is extreme. 
And so you start to look at that and you go, okay, so regardless of whether or not his parents actually killed someone, um, which uh, is still, I think, also up in the air because, yes, he finds the skull in the garden, but then also, you know, a little bit later, the dad's dug up that whole spot and there's no and skeleton there's nothing there. there. Yeah. But I think that there, there's there's something to be said about whether or not Sarah actually exists in the fact that to get to the door where Sarah is, they've got to move the grandfather clock. So, I mean, what are the chances that these parents are blocking multiple doors in their home with large, heavy things? So if, if on a regular basis, if he is grounded and sent down to this basement where he has to go to this door that's behind the fridge, then in 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 just further creating the monstrosities that are his at least at the very least psychologically abusive parents in, right. in his head then yeah well then of course that when they locked away my sister in the wall that the door to where she is is behind something else that's big and heavy that i can't move and what what can i move i can't move that grandfather clock so it's got to be back there because even the very first time he hears the voices in the wall, we get that very Frighteners-esque moment where the wall kind of bulges out yeah. like, a little bit, which, you know, doesn't happen with wallpaper and, and plaster and drywall. So you, you're, you're introduced to this idea very early that these things might not be happening. And it is not the longest stretch. It's not a very far stretch at all to imagine that all of this just comes about because of the fact that he is, like I said, at the very least, severely psychologically abused and and has just created this entire scenario. This is what happened. And this is why he now lives with Miss Divine. And we're just we're living this bizarre flashback on how he got to where he is, because a social worker makes a lot more sense than a substitute teacher. Mm-hmm. But. A kid's not going to know what a social worker is necessarily as much as they might know what a teacher is, what a substitute teacher is. Right. Even my pre-K kids know, oh, Mr. D is not here today. There's a sub. They know what a substitute teacher is. But if something happens and I've got to take one of them to the guidance counselor or to the social worker, those people they don't see as often. So they're going to conceptualize them as just another type of teacher. So a social worker makes a lot more sense for what Miss Divine was than a substitute teacher anyway. And and the way that she behaves in class is not the way that any teacher or substitute teacher I've ever met behaves. Is she like decorating and doing dope art activities and stuff? She she is. And the thing is like she's there for a while. Right. Right. Um at the very least a week. Now subs can be there for you know prolonged periods of, of time, but Everything that she does indicates that she isn't actually a teacher. Right. That this person is some sort of savior for him. Yeah, she seems to be there specifically for him. She's there for him. She's a safe space for him. Teachers do not single out students. And listen, I don't care how good a teacher you are. You know if you are a teacher at all you cannot get personal with students right the fact that she leans over to him and she says this is my favorite no right that's a, no teacher makes house calls 
I don't know that that shit ever happened, but it hasn't happened in movies and TV since like the Leave It to Beaver times. Right. All right. So like there's and 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 people who are writing these movies know this. This movie was clearly written by someone who is a great writer. This is not written by a moron. This person knows that this is not the way the teachers behave. This right. has to be intentional. Miss Divine is his savior. Miss Divine is his safe space. She's there specifically to give him a way out. That's that's what she is in his mind, which is why how much of the story you can trust. I don't know, because it is clearly being told from Peter's perspective. There's very, very few moments in the story that are ever told without Peter involved. And um, in fact, I can only think of two instances in which Peter is not involved in the story. Uh, one is when the principal or assistant principal or someone is speaking to Mr. Right. Telling her that you can't do this. And then the second time is when Brian and his cousins show up to the house. Oh, and they're out in the car. Simply showing up in the car. Yeah. That's it. There is no other moment in which we get any other story, not from Peter's perspective. And I'm pretty sure those things are put in the narrative simply to just fill the gaps. Right. So you're not left thinking, okay, but how did we get here? Yeah, uh, and you know, it's your time about how the the writer of this is is not a stupid person. Uh, the writer of this is uh, Chris Thomas Devlin, and he has very few credits to his name. But the other big one that he's got is that Texas Chainsaw Massacre right. remake. Um, yeah, and so apparently we're on board with this guy. We 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 like what he's got. We do like his his material. Um, yeah, but yeah, it's it. There's there's so many just little things in this because you know we when we that dream sequence. The, the, the dream sequence. The one moment where we're, where we're definitely told this is a dream sequence. Right. Which is fucking horrifying. Yeah. That moment is one of the scariest things I have seen committed to film in years. Yeah. That shit scared me so bad. And you were talking earlier about um, your, the, the reoccurring dream oh, with your mom trying to kill you. And the thing about this one that 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 moment that made that struck me at my core was that was very reminiscent of a reoccurring night terror I had. Not necessarily involving my parents, but that one repetitive sound that ends up being like the dad chattering his teeth. Yeah, and the one like they're gone, they're gone, but total silence of what's happening outside that door was is very similar to uh one that i had that plagued me for a long long time when i was a child mm -hmm. and so that sequence is so fucking scary but also i think it was a very smart idea to put that in there and establish a hard line on this is a dream because then you're like, so then you start to wonder, well, maybe I'm just crazy for thinking that this isn't happening the way I thought it was happening. Right. I saw a dream. There, there was obviously a dream in this. So maybe I'm nuts. Then you then you get the area rug and, and you're, you're just constantly on the edge of, of, of knowing everything and nothing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so I just I think that there were a lot of very smart things done through this storytelling that uh that that make this 
that make this movie just stand out so huge. Um, to take it back to the dream thing, uh, that that was the the scene for me as well. Um, I used to have a reoccurring dream that I would leave my bedroom. And it was late at night. And so it was totally like it was pitch black outside of my house. My parents had these like French doors, uh, you know, French windows that, that would look out into the backyard. It was total darkness. And I would look out through the front door, which had a window and it was total darkness. And I'd walk into the kitchen and again, pitch black outside of the kitchen, but like very little lighting inside the house. My house is my parents house was not even lit this way. Right. And and then I'd I'd turn the corner and I'd go into the kitchen and my mother was at the sink washing dishes. And then the words that she would say, and it, every dream started exactly the same way. The words she would say mimicked Anthony Starr's dialogue almost exactly. She would say, Look at what you did to your sister. You woke her up. And then she'd turn around and she'd be holding a butcher knife. And then she'd run at me. So right. there was this combination of like what he says, the running. And then, of course, later in the movie, Lizzie Kaplan grabs a knife and comes to him. Yeah. Right? Um, so it, all of those things kind of like manifested like I, I've, I've got goosebumps right now. I had goosebumps when I saw it. I watched that scene twice today and I can't escape how much it affects me. To see right. that because it's like it was made specifically for me and yet it was made specifically for you. The only yes. other time I've ever felt this way about something where I felt this writer sees me is uh, with Mike Flanagan. And it happened at Midnight Mass when he's talking about what happens in the afterlife. That, you know, oh, yeah, kind yeah. Of everything just ends and that nothing goes on. I was sitting. I was sitting there listening to him, and I was crying. And I was like, "Holy shit! This guy sees what I see. He feels what I feel. He believes what I believe." And it was a, a sad because you know it's not a nice thing, but it's a beautiful moment at the same time. So it 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 felt almost reassuring for me to see something that frightened me so much as a child be something that's worth it for someone to put down on paper, right? And and to make a movie out of it to me. That's part of what makes this movie so special is that it is my story, but it's also your story. And it's right. also Devlin's story. And it's also Baden's story, who directed this for the first time ever. Yes. Right. And, and so this story is all of our stories. And that's why this is so important to me. Yeah. And so, you know, we've, we've, we've mentioned their names, and it, I, but we would be remiss if we didn't take the time to talk about, I mean, a cast of four characters. I mean, right. when, when it comes down to it, there's there's four people in this movie that matter. The mom, the dad, Peter, and Miss Divine. So, I mean, take me through it, man. What'd you think of everybody? Okay, everyone was spectacular. Everyone is awesome. Um, I, uh, I, I hate to be that guy, but if Miss Divine was my teacher, I wouldn't be able to focus. <laughs> so, uh, I'm, I, I'm just going to put that out there because, wow. Wow. But um, as far as characters go, to me, the one that really, really got to me was Lizzie Kaplan as Carol. There is something tortured about her because yes. you watch this movie 
and depending on which character's lens you're looking through is the story that's being told. And the first time I saw this, I saw this almost exclusively through Peter's lens. Right. And uh, kind of putting myself in the in the shoes of a child in in a similar situation. And uh, and it was absolutely terrifying. But then I started to the second time I saw this, putting myself in Carol's shoes. And uh, I feel like she's the character that we see most often aside from Peter. Right. There were so many things that I recognized in in the character of Carol that I drew references back to my own mother, that I drew references to um, other things that I've seen in my own life experience, um, particularly, and not that my mother was ever this, but someone who was abused herself. Right. Someone who was trying to protect their kid from an abusive father. And and then I started thinking, well, maybe that is the trauma that's there. Maybe the girl that disappeared was theirs. And that it wasn't just some random girl in their neighborhood. Maybe the father father beat her to death. And right. and and maybe she's trying to at the same moment like save Peter, but also save her husband. And keep herself from having some sort of experience with him as well. Her mood totally changes when her husband, uh, Mark invites Miss divine in for coffee. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so amazingly done because it's, it's not in the center of the screen. It's, it's off to the side. It's, it's very much in shadow and, and it's out of focus but there's a brilliant piece of acting that happens there because when he walks back into the house, her eyes track him and she turns and looks like, are you serious right now? What the hell's about to happen? Right. She knows that he's holding a hammer and we don't know yet. Yeah. And Miss Divine walks in and she's tracking Miss Divine. And I swear I can see it in her eyes where she's trying to tell her, don't walk into this house. Right. It's 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 brilliant the way that that's done, and Lizzie Kaplan is of course an incredible actress. So good. So you know, I I I think that we we don't talk about her enough on the list of like great actresses. Even when you go back to what I have to assume is like far and away her most popular role, which is in Mean Girls. Right. right. Um, she's never really the one that people talk about in that movie. You know, they talk about Rachel McAdams. Uh, obviously they talk about Lindsay Lohan. There's um, like all of the plastics are the ones that people focus on. And yet Lizzie Kaplan is incredible in that. Yeah. Movie. So funny, so witty. And she blows me out of the water in this one too. Yeah. This movie went a long way to show me a, a lot of range out of Lizzie Kaplan that I hadn't gotten before because I, I, yeah, think back to mean girls, but I tend to think back to freaks and geeks and party down. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, those are both, you know, the, the comedy role pretty light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's all pretty lighthearted stuff. She had, she had an amazing, like one, two off, um, character in, uh, the league, uh, where she was just ridiculously hilarious. So I, you know, I tend to think about her in those, those, those lighter roles and, and, mm -hmm. and being really funny. And she was, she, it was, it was like, I, I used the word tortured. And that that's all there is. And you're you're constantly left wondering, is she tortured because she's genuinely that of 
detective and this girl went missing? Is she tortured because she's got this horrible secret? Is she is she tortured because she's abused by the husband and she's just trying to keep that from happening to her son? And all of that is portrayed uh, in her acting and amazing. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm going to talk then about uh, An- Anthony Starr, yeah. uh, who, uh, like I said, of, of Homelander fame. Um, oh, my God, was he scary. Like he was to in a in a much more grounded real world sense. Mm-hmm. He was far more terrifying to me than yeah. Sister Sarah because that that fucking machismo bravado horseshit that, that he, that he just spewed just He constantly. feared nothing. And no yes, one. yes, no one, no thing in this world, you know, was, was too big or, or scary for him. I mean, this is a guy who just big dicks his way through everything. And I mean, he comes in carrying the hammer, just blood. I mean, just pouring. From his arm. It's not a nick, right? This dude's arm is covered in blood. And he's like, ah, you know, stray nail. And and he's just staring down Miss Divine as he's washing up this arm that is covered in blood. Like, it's no big deal that he's apparently gashed himself on a nail. He's, he's that, he's, he's, he's every... He's the way that everybody views their dad when their dad finally blows up and punishes them. And we just see him as only that right so we only get this idea that he's just this ridiculous jackass who is going to do the worst things in the world to punish his son and he's not going to listen to anything the son has to say and he's not going to listen to anything the mom has to say and just fucking all of that comes through in star's performance and and it's funny because it's almost like I said, if you're familiar with him from the boys, it's almost like a like a, a an Elseworlds version of Homelander. It really is because Homelander is not sure of himself. Right. Because Homelander is all powerful, but Homelander is ultimately like a man boy. Yes. And that's not this guy. Yeah, it's at like all. It, and so it's 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 yeah, it's it's the mirror universe version of Homelander where it's the guy who thinks he has the power to do anything and everything he could possibly want to do and, and, and act and lives that way. And it was so cool to see the same guy pull off the other side of that coin. Um, Plus, you know, he's a good looking guy, but the dude's got a creepy face. He he just yeah. and and it's probably just because I'm now associating it with just these two roles, and there's nothing right. not creepy about Homelander either. Um, yeah. so the wife told me the same thing. She was like, "Can he play anything but a dick?" Yeah, like, I, I I don't know. I've only seen him in these two things, but he yeah. does it well. Yeah, and so he just he did a great job because that was what I kept falling back on that made me think about the fact that as, as I'm seeing all of this through Peter's eyes is he's such a piece of shit. And it's like, we get movies where parents are pieces of shit, right? And, and they're, they're just bad people. But the way that he presents this character, like I said, is that horrible demon that a kid has in their mind when their dad just punished them 
and just yes. and, and just grounded them. That's the the guy that he plays for this entire movie is the way that every one of us have felt about our dad for those ten minutes after he just fucking ripped into you because you did something stupid and you probably deserved it, but also he probably kind of went off the handle, right? Uh, you know, because that's what dads do. And and so, but that the way that he's presented in that is is a hundred is what 80 minutes an hour and 20 minutes or, or whatever of of a guy who is that all the time instead of just being that for the 10 minutes in a kid's brain after he yeah. kind of flips his lid yeah and i um i think again it's part of it, I, we're, we're given i think all the clues right i think that it, it's i'm so close to it right now that uh i can't stand far back enough to see all the clues and piece it together. Right. You know, I, I feel like, uh, like Hercule Poirot and I'm like, I'm, I, I have it all here. I'm just, I, <laughs> I can't, I can't see it yet. Right. Um, because I think we're seeing it through, um, through Peter's eyes. We are seeing a, 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 a father who maybe is not a good father at all, right. but is presented as, ever so much more a terrible father because his son is also incredibly sensitive. Right. And that is likely why, and you, you, um, it may sound like victim shaming and it, it, it really isn't. Um, you said something where like, you know, there, there usually is a reason why bullying takes place. Right. Um, and there's, the, I would say, I would argue there's two reasons. There's whatever reason the bully has for bullying, and there's whatever reason the uh, the one being bullied has for being bullied. And it's very easy to say that no one ever asks for being bullied, and that's true. No one ever asks for being bullied. Um, and bullying is wrong. Right, it's always wrong. Yes, we, we are not we are not pro bullying yeah, at all. As someone who was bullied when I was younger, it's awful and it's terrible. But with so much distance on it now, I can tell you that because I was so sensitive and because I did not have thick skin, I allowed things to affect me so much. And those that feel the need to make themselves feel better by making others feel worse because of whatever has happened in their own lives, they're going to gravitate to that kind of person. Right. Peter is that kind of kid. You can tell by looking at him that he's a sensitive kid. He's an emotional kid. That's the kind of kid that is, that ha has painted a target on his back unknowingly. Right. And when marksmen see a target, they shoot. Right. So um, I, I, I think that Peter is so sensitive. And I think that part of that is the fact that his parents have sheltered him. And 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 whether it's Lizzie Kaplan, uh, you know, as, as Carol sheltering him from from Mark or whether it's 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 Mark in his own way, sheltering him from the other stuff in the world. I don't know. But there's there is something sinister about Anthony Starr that. I think it is both perceived and actual. Right. That makes his performance terrifying. Agreed, man. It, it was, it, it was, he just, 
even without the scene where he's just standing there with the the, the, the face and the teeth chattering, I still would have just been terrified of him. Yeah. The dream sequence just really set it over the top. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, of all the characters that we've talked about, and even though we we, we focused on Anthony Starr and um, and Lizzie Kaplan, we did mention uh, the others. And, and I, I will say him by name, Woody Norman as Peter, spectacular. And Cleopatra Coleman as Miss Divine, again, spectacular. Which it took me halfway through the movie to realize that I was recognizing her from Last Man on Earth. Like I was, I was yeah. a solid forty-five minutes into the movie before I was like, "Oh my god, that's who she is!" <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the one that we haven't really, and we like barely even touched upon her at all, is um, Sarah, the monster, yeah. Sister Sarah. Um, Sarah is a monster that at once is exactly the kind of movie monster that we're all familiar with, and also a very new and different kind of monster. And also because of how you see this movie, she could be a, a, an entirely different kind of monster than that as well. How does Sarah work for you as the monster of the movie? So there was a movie that we did. Uh, shit, I don't remember exactly what, but we did it. I believe it was called, glass house the nothing house right something like that it was like an hbo one where the there was the anyway there was a movie we did a while ago that, mm -hmm. that, I, that i'm just now thinking of and drawing this comparison to so i didn't have a chance to look up what it was called you're not talking oh. about the deep house are you no no not the deep house no, no no this one was the one where it was like at a lake house and there was constantly like shit going on and ultimately yes the night house the night house yeah there. yeah when we discussed that movie we had a very good and very deep discussion about the fact that the the monster in this movie was was depression right right i think that there is a case to be made for cobweb that while sister sarah is presented to us as a cinematic movie monster that sister sarah is is much more likely a a manifestation of some sort of abuse slash neglect PTSD absolutely that that Peter has and I think that when you start to check boxes on things that are realistic versus things that are supernatural about her in a movie where nothing has been presented to us with, as supernatural at all. I think that unless you, everything is presented as unless everything is presented as supernatural, <laughs> right. right? And so, but I think you start to check a lot more boxes in that this doesn't add up column. Uh, like I said, she one at one point in the movie we're we're led to believe that that the mother, I don't know, opened the door to like give her some lemonade or something like that. We see her like moving yeah. the clock back and holding a pitcher and locking the door. But then, you know, 15 minutes later, when Sister Sarah breaks free, we're watching her decapitate people with her bare hands. If she was really pissed off about being in there, I'm thinking as soon as the mom unlocks the door to give her some lemonade, I'm free, I'm free. Thank God Almighty, I'm free, right? Like, right. Well, and, if, and also, if they believe she's dead, why would they be giving her any sustenance? Right. And so so you, you, you've got some things like that. You've got this, the, the idea that the way that she moves <laughs> is is so 
it's 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 somebody who looked at the spider walk scene that was added back to the oh, exorcist yeah and was like what if we took this and made it more fucking horrifying yeah and, it, it really is <laughs> and so you know it's it's it doesn't physically make sense for her to move the way she does she's literally scaling walls at one point like i said she's decapitating people with their bare hands these things don't make sense as a human girl who was locked in the wall. But they do make sense as a way of a kid who is trying to piece together what the hell just happened. There's 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 an idea here that because you look at the way that he kills his dad, you know, and and he 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 eats the poison. And he throws up. Mm-hmm. But you look at the fact that the mom dies by stabbing. And it's like, even if a kid were to kill their parents, you know, or and yeah, she kind of fell on the knife, whatever, whatever. You start to piece these things together and you go, what if the, you know, there's just one scenario that you throw out there. What if the dad killed the mom and he saw it because the dad was abusive? And then the poisoning of the dad is what he wishes he could do because he has that memory of the rat poison. You start oh, to put those things together. And then you start to go... And then the the whole thing with the with Sister Sarah, she doesn't exist, right? All of these things start to come into play. And I think that the idea that Sister Sarah is a manifestation of his latent guilt about possibly his inability to protect his mother um, and not doing anything about his dad, um, the the fact that that he just just the monstr the monstrosity that his dad was, but also you never want to fully attribute these awful things to your parents, right? So you need a reason that they were like mm-hmm. that. So what if it's the monster in the wall? I think that when you start to add all those things up, I think there's a lot uh, to be said here about the fact that I don't think Sister Sarah's real. I don't think there was a person in the walls. I think that this is just the way that he pictured that final night with his parents going down as he relives it night after night. And he's constantly yes, anding himself and it's becoming this one man campfire story that he's living and reliving every day. And he's, he's still seeing the hair in the bed. He's still having these flashbacks to what something that I don't believe actually happened, but he has to keep building the story. He has to keep making this wall thicker between him and what actually happened. Because as soon as there's a hole in it where he can look through and see something black and dark and gross on the other side, he has to confront what he really lived through. And it's much easier to just attribute these things to a monster in the walls. Absolutely. And and I, I subscribe to that. When I first watched this movie, all I really did was just watch and be entertained. And right. yeah, I'm picking up on, on, on a lot of the thematic elements. But when you watch it again, you can't help but ask yourself, what is actually going on here? And 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 it ha- to, to me, there, there, you can read this in you know a, a, a multitudinous ways. But this is the way that makes the most sense to me, because when you do not check your trauma, your trauma checks you. 
Right. And, and, and that's, that's what we have here is, is we have Peter attempting as a child, right? Because if we as adults can't do this, Peter as a child is attempting to rationalize all the things that keep him up at night. That's when that's when he hears the voices. That's when that's when when the bad things happen because he doesn't have the distraction of of, of life to right uh, to 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 have him you know refocus himself. That's the way it works. Anyone who has ever had some sort of trauma understands this. This is why we stay up at night. And and this and is why, why I sleep with the TV on. Yes, yes, because if we if we hear our own thoughts, it's the scariest thing that yes. you could possibly have because then you have to address it with yourself. Right? Because you could you could you can even lie to your therapist. Right. You can't lie to yourself. And and when you do, this is what happens. You're and and it never ends up nice. It's um, I, I'm, I'm with you on this, man. S Sister Sarah totally is the manifestation of the neglect that he received from his parents. This is the manifestation of the abuse that he either witnessed or 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 uh, or, or was dealt by his parents. It's all those things. And I think that's part of why this movie works so well, and why Sarah works as such a great monster, because whether or not his trauma and neglect and abuse is actually manifest as a physical monster that is killing people it will eventually manifest in ways that will kill people right it, and 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 it has in fact already killed because it's killed his spirit yes yeah i mean it's there's that was the thing I did the same. Now I've only watched the movie once, but this was, but that I kept going back to just the spinning area rug and the bulge in the wall. And then I eventually did kind of come around to this idea that it was like, okay, wait, what if this stuff wasn't happening? Right. So that's when I started to kind of piece together these things and, and, and head canon my own stuff. But I think that you talked earlier about, <coughs> ooh, excuse me. You talked earlier about that dream sequence in this movie. It's it was written for you and it was written for me. I think that it is it is an extremely bold undertaking to do something like this for two reasons. Um, well, for one reason that it's bold and one reason it's really smart. So let me say it like that. There's one reason that it's very bold. It's very bold to create a monster that that somebody like you and I can sit back and say okay so that's that's not real that is that is you know some this this weird amalgamation of feelings and 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 personifying these things in a child's mind that's that's a that's a bold move for one of the first times that you you know step out of the box right and right. you're like hey world here I am and I wrote a movie and and that that that's a really bold move but I think that there's something very, very smart about this, too. And that is the fact that you can watch this movie the way that we both did it the first time. And you can just watch it and be like, oh, shit, there's a girl in the wall and she's a monster and she right. can rip people's heads off. And that's cool. You know, there's you, you can you can you can watch this movie and only take that away that like, holy shit, these people kept a girl in their wall and she finally got out and sought her revenge mm -hmm. and. And and it's amazing, right? And and there were these, there was there, she was super creepy, and there were spiders in her hair, and she could like hang down from the ceiling and do all these weird, creepy things. And you could watch it 
And if that does it for you and you're happy to sit on that moment and just be like, hey, that was a fun movie with a great monster, then more power to you. Right. Then great. Then that then 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 these people have accomplished what they were after. And I think that it works on that level, too. I think so, too. Yeah. And then and so I, I think that with Sister Sarah, we have we've gotten what is one of the most complex concepts for a movie monster in a in a very long time mm -hmm. one where you and i mean and you can go back to you can go back to a lot of those universal ones that we've looked at and it's like ah well sure he's frankenstein's monster but maybe frankenstein is the actual monster right and, and you can do that shit with 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 a lot of literary stuff and it but it's still kind of more on the surface there but you can also just watch it and be like oh yeah frankenstein's monster is the monster you know that's that idea of creating a movie that appeals to two types of people, the people who want to watch a movie and be entertained and the people who want to rip it apart and still be entertained, mm -hmm. then then I, I think that, that that's something incredible and something that was accomplished with uh, with Sister Sarah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... We've talked a so now that we've talked about Sister Sarah and we've really ripped open kind of the 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 ideas there. Let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of this movie because the one thing that you texted me after you watched this Monday and I hadn't gotten to it yet was that this was beautiful as a movie that it was just gorgeous and you were one hundred percent correct. This movie is beautiful. And I mean, for it to be this uh, Samuel uh, um, Samuel Bowden's directorial debut, the dude seems to know what he's doing. So, I mean, take us through what what, what you liked about just the, the 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 ins and outs, the nuts and bolts of what makes this movie. Um, for me, there's there's a couple of things that stick out um, beyond the writing, which we've already talked about. Um, there's the cinematography. There's the lighting, there's the set design. And, you know, of course, it it all ends up going back to Samuel Bowden. Right. He's the mastermind here, right? But the cinematographer, Philip Lozano, mm -hmm. holy fuck. Yeah. There's yeah. there's a um there's a philosophy in filmmaking that says that if you were to pause your film at any moment, that frame should be equal to a painting. Right. That every frame should be artistic, could be printed, and could look like a photograph with composition to it. So like uh, no wasted frame. I think that this is the movie that maybe of all the movies we've ever done holds true to that rule. There is not one shot in this movie that is wasted. Right. Every single shot is so beautifully composed. The transitions are so beautifully done. All the camera movement is just absolutely incredible from the push ins to the 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 pans everything in this movie works and i can't explain it 
because there's so many different rules of composition going on with each individual shot that I, it, 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 to me, I, I would just pause it on this second viewing. I would just occasionally pause it and stare at, at my screen and, and just relish the beauty of Lozano's composition. It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. And part of what makes it work is the lighting. The yeah. lighting in this movie is not natural lighting in the, and what I mean by that, because I mean, there's very few movies that actually employ natural lighting. I mean that it's not supposed to mimic natural lighting. It right. seems like it's a many, mo, many scenes seem like they are simply dreams. Like where the hell is that light source where the light is shining in from there? I don't know. Right. But it looks beautiful. It looks beautiful. And I'm not questioning it because maybe it is a dream. And in your dream, you don't like the sun's here. So obviously light is coming this way. Shadow is cast in that direction, but it doesn't fucking matter because if the shadow's over here now, that's the way your dream works. And right. I think one of the perfect examples of this is when Peter is coming downstairs and his parents are arguing in front of the fireplace and the shadow is being cast onto the staircase. Nothing about that shot actually makes sense. Correct. The lighting doesn't make sense, but it's incredible nightmare lighting. Yeah, it, 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 it works. And there's there's something about the way that the lighting with the composition of each shot and then the absolutely incredible set design here. This house is somehow beautiful and ugly all at the same time. It's simple and yet complex right. all at the same time. There is something about this that boggles my mind that. um like I, um, I don't know if this is going to make sense to anyone. This is probably a super niche thing, <laughs> but um, I really enjoy putting together outfits. Like I'm the kind of person that will wear a different set of pants and a different shirt and a different tie. I have to wear a tie to work every single day, and right. I love I love the challenge of matching colors and patterns, and I feel like that's something that like sticks in your mind. Where it's like, okay, will this work? How will this work? Is this going to be okay? That's how I feel with this movie, where I'm constantly looking at it and saying, the set design, the lighting, and the composition of these shots, how is this working together to make this incredible work of art that's before me? There's something about it that is just magical, and that's not even to mention anything about the music. Dude, the music on this movie is so, so fucking good. Um, and so I, I went and looked it up. It's an Italian. It's an Italian composer named Drum and Lace. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I was going back through, and they did uh, the 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 music for the I don't know. We'll call it subpar. Maybe we'll do it someday on the show. Uh, uh, Peacock original horror movie, They Them with Kevin Bacon. Oh yeah, I did want to do that one. Yeah, it's it's all right. Um, but. <laughs> But the but the a standout thing from that movie was the music. It was it was this weird. It's this weird like uh, uh, electronica. Like it, it it kind of flirts with a lot of the ideas of of real classical mm -hmm. horror movie scoring. Yeah. Um. But but you know. But it feels very. It feels very modern. And, and I liked that a lot. I liked that there were moments where when you're listening, it kind of felt like something Carpenter might have put into Halloween, but it never felt 
dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so I did. I really liked that. I, I, the lighting was the thing with this movie that got me. Like I found myself being simultaneously enamored and just infuriated by the lighting because right. I, I wanted to see more. Like, why is it so fucking dark? And, and, yeah. and I know it's because it, because it, it, it told the story because it was supposed to be like that, but uh, you know, you, why, why did, why did it take so long to see sister Sarah's face? And then when I did, what the fuck did I see? I don't right. know. Like, it's all so bizarrely lit and, and it, and it doesn't make sense. It, it doesn't make any sense. Like the dad goes down to the basement, puts him down there, turns off the one bulb. And it's just as bright as it was when that light was on. Like, why is yeah. that bulb? It's in that the eerie boot blue glow. Yeah. Like, but where, where's the blue light? <laughs> exactly. Like where, where is that light coming from? Because you, yeah, it is, it is the exact same bright. And here's where you turn that, that light off. But like I said, like you said, it's, it's okay that it doesn't make sense because maybe not making sense is what it's supposed to do. Maybe that is selling the idea of this movie. Uh, you know, I just, there's the, the composition wise, the scene towards the very end when he is down and what we find out is like the pit that sister Sarah had been kept in for a while before she got moved to the walls or whatever. You're talking about, you know, like moments that you could stop. You, you see, and you're trying to figure out where he is. And then you get this kind of pull out where you're suddenly very aware of the fact that he's down in this pit and she's doing this super creepy like wall climb thing down. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, it, if it wouldn't have given away like the movie, like that was your poster right there, right? Yeah. Like that that was that was the thing where it's like you you see that and you're like, why is this kid in a pit? And why is this creepy uh, you know Samara ripoff trying to eat him or something? <laughs> right. And so but that like that one is is one that that stands out to me so much. When the dream sequence is over was my favorite transition in the movie, though, where she it is he, amazing. He sits up and it's like the camera moves with him and we get this one big rollover pan that then is him sitting up into his mom's bosom. And it was this one big, weird, effortless thing. I... I will never know enough about filmmaking to know how that was so beautifully edited together that it looked seamless like that. Those little things that happened in this movie were just, I, I, until you said it, I I didn't realize that this was this guy's directorial debut. It was, you would never know. You wouldn't, you wouldn't this. It was, it was, it was gorgeous. It was scary, man. It's they, every, everybody involved with this, understood the assignment it was yeah <laughs> yeah um and, and 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 the only thing left to do here is to actually rate this movie because we've we've talked about absolutely everything here uh we've been singing its praises for the last hour and, and 15 minutes so uh we haven't actually discussed a uh a, a metric here do you have any ideas i like blighted pumpkins I like Blighted Pumpkins. I was actually thinking, um, thanks to the the, the background here, uh, I was thinking about Frowny Face Cupcakes. Frowny Face Cupcakes. I like it. I like, like it. Uh, yes. But they're also pumpkin cupcakes, so we can go Frowny Pumpkin Cupcakes. Frowny Pumpkin Cupcakes. 
There we go. That's it. Yeah. That's and it's, it, it's a tongue twister. So let's, <laughs> let, let's see who fucks it up first and who fucks it up most. Uh, so, Daniel, out of a possible five frowny pumpkin pup, cupcakes, I did it you first. Fucked it up first. <laughs> How many frowny pumpkin cupcakes do you give this? Look, I, I think that if, if you've been listening for 75 minutes, right, there's 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 not a lot of room for debate here about where we're going to go with this. Um, this movie was beautiful. It was scary. It was creepy. It was unsettling. It left you wanting to watch it again. It left you wanting to discuss it. I have been itching to talk about this since the minute I sat there watching the credits too, which by the way, speaking of music, like the song that played during the credits, so completely off brand for yeah. the rest of the movie, just when you thought you could get settled because it was over. Here's a really weird song, right? It did. Yeah. It crawled <laughs> under you. Like, yeah. Oh, fuck. Yes. Um, I mean, it did. It 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 did everything right, and it it presented itself as a movie that could just be a scary monster movie if that's what you wanted. Mm-hmm. It it was a movie that you could do an hour and a half podcast and and just and absolutely rip it to shreds in the best possible way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we've we've torn this thing down to the atom to dissect it, and I've yet to find a reason to not like any of those atoms. I I loved this. Like I said, my my initial thought when I watched it was that I was going to knock it for how strong Sarah was when she came out of the wall until I had the realization that I don't think Sarah was real. And and a monster created in a child's mind is always going to be that strong because they're a monster. And especially if it if it is PTSD from something as horrible as watching his dad kill his mom or something along those lines, then yeah, you're going to create something ungodly that that's involved in that situation. So the one knock I had on it, I've spent 24 hours rationalizing in a way that I think makes total and complete sense. So I'm, I'm, I'm going five frowny pumpkin cupcakes, man. This thing was incredible. And I hope that this crew sticks together and does some more awesome stuff. Yeah. Um, I agree. I'm also um, so perplexed as to like the amount of ease that you said frowny pumpkin cupcakes. I mean, that just <laughs> rolled off the tongue. Um, I, I'm giving this five as well. Um, and I, I toyed with the idea of actually giving it the six, the coveted six frowny pumpkin cupcakes. But the thing is that I have a tendency to um, ride those highs, right? When when I've just seen something, or heard something, or experienced something, and it's it's like so new and so fresh, I consume and consume and consume, and I I, I think I'm too close to it right now. That exactly to, to make way. that call. Now um, I don't know that I've ever been more certain that I will make that call as I right. am right now, but I don't want to say six. And then a year later I come back. I'm like, you know what? It actually uh, should have just been the five. It should have just right. been perfect and not better than perfect. But if you ask me, I think it is, but I'm going to go with the five frowny pumpkin cupcakes for all the reasons that I've just spent, um, you know, the, the, the last hour and 20 minutes uh, just, you know, going gaga for this movie. Right. So, uh, so there you have it. Perfect, 
perfect five out of five frowny pumpkin cupcakes, and I think I've nailed it now. I yeah, got you got it, it now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it, it's definitely in your vernacular at this point. So. Uh, yeah, so I'm gonna go back and edit that first one, uh, <laughs> so so that you look like the asshole for saying you got it wrong, and then the listener's <laughs> like, "What is he talking about? He totally said it right." <laughs> so I mean, it definitely deserves it. This this is a movie that that went out there and did the damn thing, and it was awesome. So. If you are, if you stuck with us, thank you for listening. If you're listening as we've released this, you know, get out there and check this movie out. Support these guys. This is a lot of fun. This is Cobweb just dropped this year. Uh, we've got a couple fun things on deck coming up next week. Dave is going to be out of town. So um, I'm going to reach out to Hunger, who was remarkably absent from our ability to pull people from the ether. So weird. The you would have thought he would have shown up. Week. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Trivia is like his thing. It's super weird. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go to him and we're going to find something that, you know, would probably just not even hit on Dave's radar, but that maybe he'll watch just so he can send in a review. We'll you know, keep an eye on the Instagram and we'll let you know what that's going to be. Speaking of the Instagram, if you had to shiverpot.com, you can find links to all of our social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and I'm still calling it Twitter. We are at shiverpot at all of yeah. those things and YouTube as well. Keep a very close eye on that for the next week. I know I said this last week, but then I had a whole yard issue this weekend. <laughs> we are going to have a merch drop, hopefully by this weekend. If not, we're at least going to go live with the pictures for it by this weekend and start building that anticipation. So keep an eye on shiverpod.com and our Instagram is our most active. It's the one where we have the easiest time interacting with people to everybody who's out there following us. We put up some fun stuff with some, you know, I'm trying to get some audience interaction. We've had some people getting at us. Um, Greg, if you're out there listening, man, thank you for always commenting. Dude always has something to say, uh, but check us out. That is where we are the most, uh, Active is the word I've been vamping while I tried to think of. That is where we are the most active. And we'd love to hear from you. And we'll, you know, let you know what we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks. Absolutely. So on behalf of all of us here at Shiver, fright you very much. <laughs>